It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 12th, the Reservoir Puppies edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Leo, who is three and three quarters, and Eliza, who is seven. I'm Rebecca Lavoy. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and a stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I am the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question about how to integrate yourself into somebody else's family as a step-parent, and another about what to tell a four-year-old about all the fighting on TV. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails, we'll have recommendations, and on Slate Plus, the Culture Gab Fest's own Julia Turner will share a recent seaside parenting fail. Don't worry, everybody comes out of it okay. Uh, Triumphs and fails. Rebecca, would you like to go first? Sure. I have a bit of a fail that I am um, actively grappling with right now, and that is that uh, my son Henry, who is currently in D.C., as I talked about on the show, is now more actively thinking about college and post-high school plans because he's in a program in D.C. where that is part of the curriculum. They are writing practice college essays. He's going to be taking a bunch of AP tests when he's down there. He's going to be taking his SATs when he's down there. And you know, college prep and college conversation is is in the fabric. They've gone on a couple of college tours in D.C., and he is interested in going to school in D.C. We've uh, been to visit a couple of schools there before he was in this program, and um, that's kind of his geographic area. And that's all well and good, and he also has this very interesting idea about maybe trying to find a service program to do in the year between high school and college. He has a lot lot of, like, really concrete ideas about it, um, which is wonderful, and I know that makes me fairly lucky because he's not, like, all over the place or, you know, doesn't know what he wants to do. You know, he has some focus. The fail is that I know, because I know that it's right, but also it's because it's in line with the advice that you hear from everyone in this topic area, that I need to just like step back and not insert myself and my own values and my own, you know, for lack of a better word, I I think it's fair to say in, in these college conversations, like snobbishness around college decisions and college stuff into this conversation. And I really find myself struggling to not like just put my own feelings into these conversations because I do think that we have wrongly developed like a lot of value judgments around college choices and college decisions. And it's it's really, really hard when your kid who uh, is in a program and has been basically told like these are the kinds of schools you could get into and has a, a really strong preference for one which like wouldn't be the one that you would pick for them if it were only up to you. And it is hard to not infuse the conversation with that, even when 
you know that it's the wrong thing to do. How, how and, can you not have an opinion about this? How could you well, expect yourself to keep your opinion about this right. life-defining choice out of right. the conversation with him? What it's, kind of a it, parent would you be if you weren't in any way invested in this? Well, that's that's what you find yourself struggling with. But the problem is, as with anything related to young people making up their own minds about things, very often your opinion as well, meaning as it is and as founded on as many facts and statistics as you think it is, also triggers their negativity about that same opinion. Sure. <laughs> That's just kind of like part of what's having teenagers about. So you want to and steer him in a particular direction, but you want to do it in a more subtle way than just advocating no, from a particular actually, point of view. I, I want to not want to steer him. <laughs> sure, it would be That's lovely to want. not want like, so to you, steer him. But Gabe how, was like, so you still want to control him, but you need to figure <laughs> no, out how to do it like, without him knowing. Got yes. I wish, <laughs> yes, I wish I, like, 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 like the, the devil, show, the shoulder devil is like, no, you want him to like look at the schools you want him to look at, and that's what we want him to do. And the, but the other side of me is like, no, that a that would be wrong. But it's also I don't want to even like feel that way. Like I, I want to be. I mean, I just went through this with my stepdaughter who chose a college that is, and like I can say this because I'm comfortable saying it. Like, definitely was very easy for her to get into. She chose it because they have a specific program that's vocational that she's interested in. It's like a five-year combined master's, bachelor's in teaching. She knows where she wants to be geographically, and this is like a school that, you know, she was she applied to some other schools, like she got some money for them, but she chose this one school because of this, and like, you know. You you could say to her, like, you know, you know, why are you choosing this school when you could have gotten into X, Y, and Z? But that's like an adult value judgment that's like not important. And in her case, this wasn't an issue because it's like vocationally directed and it's like a lot of practicality around the decision and all that stuff. But in Henry's case, like he has so many like different possibilities and different directions he wants to go in that it's more amorphous. And I am just unable to be the kind of person who can be cool and be like, hey, you know, this is a really important decision that he gets to make. This is like a path that he's going to carve out for himself and choose. And, you know, I, I would love it to go in one direction, but it may go in another. Like, I am that way in every other aspect of my parenting these kids. And I'm really struggling with that, with those feelings right now of wanting to, you know, I found myself, for instance, here's a good example. There's one school that he's going to be going to look at, that, and they have a program that I think would be, like, great for him. And I said to him, like, oh, when you go there, you should ask questions about this program. And he's like, yeah, yeah, if I, if I remember, I will. And I found myself like, like, should I call them and tell nice. them that when you show up, they should give you a brochure about this program? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So you, oh, yeah, you can, whatever. It's only my future. Yeah. Who cares? Exactly. Whatever. Exactly. Now you kind of get what I'm like laying down, right? So this is a kid wow. who like historically has made good decisions <laughs> and all great. that stuff. But like, it's tough. It's tough when you are putting more weight on it than they are. And frankly... Everybody who gives advice about this professionally says that we do put too much weight on it. We like put way too much weight on it. So that's kind of the fail because I'm really struggling with it and like trying to like masking tape over my own mouth every time we have this conversation. Mm -hmm. I, and I, it's tough. I think your fail is to try to expect yourself to just be totally chill about something that there's no way for you to be chill about and there's no reason you should be chill about it. It's a really important thing and it's stressful and you like whatever he's be what he's going to go to some stupid college instead of like a really great <laughs> college and like he can get into a great college. Why would you not feel anxious about the possibility of him going <laughs> to you know Crappy, college. stupid college as opposed to <laughs> awesome college. 
crappy well, you. Well, the reason is, uh, yeah, <laughs> crappy. I mean, I noticed we're not using the names of these colleges, and that's probably no, for the best. <laughs> yeah. No, no. The reason why you don't do that, Gabe, is because it's his life. That's the thing. It's like it's his right. life. And, is it, though? Um, th- yes. Yeah, it is. It is. Sorry. <laughs> It is. Yes, that is that is a fact. It is it's his life. And the 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 difficulty with being a parent, especially and this really gets a, I mean this happens in adolescence, um is that uh it, they're ready for it to be their life before you're ready for it to be their life. But the the uh, the in my opinion close to objective fact is that it is their life more than you want it to be. And yes, their life impacts you and the decisions they make impact you and you care and but some of that is like logistical it impacts me, but a lot of that is just because you're so used to as a parent um, making every decision for them and determining things and trying to manage the outcomes for their experience. And that has a certain use utility when your kids are younger. And that that utility crumbles right before your eyes when they turn adolescence. And it's a really hard adjustment for parents to make. Adolescence is hard for kids, but that's why adolescence is hard for parents, because it's really hard to make that adjustment. Your whole paradigm shifts because it is their life and things that you think you should rightfully be in charge of because, God damn it, you've been raising them their whole lives and you change their diapers and clean their vomit off you and, and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> now, <laughs> that stuff is no longer in your purview and it's, and it's much easier for them to let that go because for them, three years old, six months old was a billion years ago. For you, it was just the blink of an eye ago. And so parents are always late to make that realization. And that, in my, I would, if I had to guess, I would say that is probably the core of the power struggle between adolescents and teenagers is that it takes parents a lot longer to recognize the transition than it does for the kids. And, um, and so like, that's, that's one, you know, that's the reason why you, you don't foist your, I mean, to offer your opinion, I think if you know how to do it in a way that doesn't carry with it an implied pressure, you can, but I think it's really hard to do that. One thing I'm really learning with Ezra is that when I think I'm being chill, he's still experiencing an overbearing father. Like, and that, that's something that I really, like, that really occurred. And I'm, I'll talk a little bit about this during my, my triumph slash fail, but we went on a road trip this weekend, just he and I, and I, I left, we learned a lot about each other. And at the end, that was the main takeaway. I was like, when I, even when I think I'm being just like, chill, dad, like, man, we're just bros, just broing out. You know, like for him, I'm still like this overbearing figure who's like all up in his shit. And um, I finally got to see that when I spent this extended period of time with him alone. Um, and so, you know, you do have to back off and you you have to get used to that on your own. And that's the one reason to do it. The other reason to do it is that, and this is something I learned, you know, I worked with teenagers for many years before I had any of my own. Um, for 15 years, I worked with kids in foster care, kids in the lockup facilities and things like that. And one of the things I like really learned through all the years of doing that and training is that, you know, when you're trying to help someone figure out how to make a decision, if you set up one of the options as your personal choice, then the decision for them no longer becomes about thing A versus thing B. It becomes about you versus them. Like once you own a choice, then now they're choosing not only based on the content in front of them, but also based on you. You now have posi- – you've, you've now – so college B, you're now the face of college B. You're now the mascot. You're on the flag. You're on the brochure. If you strongly press for College B, then that's it. Becomes about you versus them, as opposed to College A versus College B. And that's a that's a dynamic you want to stay away from with teenagers. You want people to decide based on the stuff, 
not based on their relationship with you. And so there's a lot of skillful means required to kind of back yourself out of that role. It's While hard. While still making that's them what choose College B. <laughs> While still secretly <laughs> controlling. <laughs> I, I, I agree. That does seem very difficult. <laughs> That's all very good advice. Uh, but just you wait until one of your kids says, as mine did to me. Um, yeah, uh, College A, which is the one that I have the sentimental attachment to, um, they just ask a whole lot like of applicants. Like, you got to do a lot extra to apply. And frankly, that just that it kind of seems like a culture that I wouldn't really enjoy. And I'm like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> yeah, they make you take out the trash. They're all for you about cleaning your no, room. No. I don't know. No, I just no. don't like it, Mom. <laughs> 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 well, I'm sure he'll be very happy even at stupid crappy college. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure that'll be great for him. <laughs> Carvel, oh. it's your turn. Okay, so um, I had, I had, I would like to have come in and reported a triumph, um, but then after that, I had a huge fail that was only marginally related to the triumph. I just want to get it out: is that Ezra and I did take this road trip for spring break. I, I like to do trips with the kids individually whenever I can. Um, long-time listeners to the show may remember that last year Georgia and I went to the East Coast and did saw friends and Cape Cod and all this stuff, and it was beautiful. For spring break, Ezra and I went up, took a road trip to Ashland, Oregon, to see plays at the Shakespeare Festival. And um, it was a very interesting trip, and we argued... We really argued like the first 24 hours and then we got over it and the rest of it was cool bonding. So I was really excited about that, took plenty of photos and it was just a great trip. And then then the drama happened, which is that I got a new phone on my uh, two days after because my phone was like on the fritz. And, and so I bought this new phone and the night before I made a decision to go buy the phone, I backed up my old phone on my laptop <clears throat> and uh, I went and got the new phone and then... Right when I got there, I had this weird feeling that I should double back up. I should sign into iCloud and back my whole phone up. But I had scheduled it badly because I had an appointment right after I was supposed to get this phone. And like when I started the iCloud backup, which I've never done, I always back everything up onto my actual computer, not iCloud. Uh, that's going to change. Um, I uh, It said that like the backup was going to be like an hour and a half for some ridiculous amount of time that I just did not have. So the salesman at the store was like, are you sure you backed up? I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do iCloud. It's going to take forever, but I backed up my laptop last night. He was like, cool. And I didn't bring my laptop with me to the store, which I usually do when I switch phones. But this time I didn't. And so I got the new phone, and then I went home, and I wanted to restore from backup, and there was no backup. Somehow I had bungled the backup on my phone. And the reason that this is a parenting fail is because I had 10 years' worth of text messages and about seven years' worth of photographs of my kids on my phone. And um, that includes like all the first day of school pictures that I took. We did this thing where like we always posed the same way in the first day of school so we could see the growth. All the videos I made of them, all the recordings I made of them like being funny, talking, debating serious things. Sometimes I would even record them when they were having meltdowns so I could play it back and torture them about it. It was all gone. And I felt I'm still sick over it. I realized this yesterday about 24 hours ago exactly, and I'm still sick over it. I've carried, I've had like seven different phones, iPhones since 2008, and I've always managed to carry my data over from one phone to the other, and I finally just lost all of it. 
and I feel so bad about it. And I told I told Joe, and I was like, I, I'm I'm really sorry. Like I had all these photos of our kids from all the years, and I lost them. And of course, she was great about it. She was like, "Well, I mean, what are you going to do? It's, I'm really sorry that happened, but it could, you know, in the old days, it would have been fire or flood. I mean, sometimes you just lose your memories, and that's it. You still have, you know." And then this morning in the car, I told the kids, and it was funny because um, Georgia was like initially just like, uh, "Well, why didn't you back it up? Like, you should have had it on iCloud, Dad. You messed with you know, just like no sympathy, you know? Like, I don't understand. Like, you just..." But Ezra, because I think Ezra really inherently, like in a physiological sense, understands making a catastrophic mistake because of, you know, having a catastrophic outcome from making, like, just a, a silly mistake of, you know, overlooking something, he really got it. And he was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry, Dad. That's, like, the worst thing I can think of. And and then he was like, you know, but it's okay. Like, Mom has plenty of pictures of us. And, you know, it's just like we still have the memories. And, and so that was it. But I just, I feel, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that I, and like none of it was work related because all my work stuff is backed up in a billion places. But um, so it really is just photographs and just all those text messages. Um, and, and, but as far as the kids go, like, I just feel really sick to have lost all of those photographs of Santa Cruz trips and beach trips and recordings of dinner and just various stuff. And uh, so I feel like I've made a really big failure by just kind of rushing through the process because I was overscheduled and overbooked and just not playing it slow and, and steady. And uh, I'm paying the price. So that's my fail. Ugh, I'm sorry, man. That is the, yeah. I feel like that's going to happen to every single one of us on like two or three <laughs> occasions over the course of our lives. And there's just mm-hmm. nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some ways, the irony, too, is like the fact that it hasn't happened in 10 years, even though I've switched phones a billion times, makes it all the worse when it does because yeah. I just kept piling up and piling up stuff. Yeah, and, and you, yeah. I know you to be a, a technologically sound guy, and, and you probably thought that you were too <laughs> smart to allow this to happen to you, as I have sometimes thought that about myself. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I was cocky because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't back up stuff on iCloud. I would always reject it. I don't fucking need iCloud. I know what I'm doing. I have a, <laughs> I have a better method. I don't need yeah. your bullshit. You know, I just like, whatever. So yeah, what are we gonna say, Rebecca? You, you'll still get tons of unsolicited advice. People saying like, "Wait, did you try this though?" You're gonna get a lot of that. Yes. Just so you know, oh my God. <laughs> brace yeah, yourself. That has happened. <laughs> it's been, it's already been 24 hours of that, and I'm just like, obviously, I tried. Like, why would I? <laughs> I, I totally stopped myself from doing that. I stopped myself from making suggestions. I know. <laughs> I, I want know. points and I feel for like not doing that. I mean, I might still find. I mean, it's got to be out there somewhere. I'm sure the NSA has it. Maybe I should call them up and see if they. <laughs> well, you always have what you've uploaded to back. Facebook. That's All like right. your backup, right? <laughs> yeah, I, ha- I have Facebook and Instagram and stuff. So yep. that stuff is there. All it's right. Fun. Send your technological suggestions to Carvel at <laughs> momanddad at slate.com. Make sure to put technological suggestion for Carvel in the subject line so he'll be sure to read it right away. Um, <laughs> I have a fail, and and it, it's a it, it's not just my fail; it's partly my fail. There's a lot of fail to go around on this one, but so it, this is part of a long running thing that we've been trying to address, which is that Leo is you know he's in preschool, and and he has two really good solid friends in his preschool class, and like they're his boys. They play together all the time. They have playdates together. They play on the in the roof where they have recess together. Their whole thing is like he has his two friends, and that's it. And it's great that he has these great friendships and these are both good kids and it's lovely. 
And at the same time, he refuses to even entertain the possibility of having any other friends besides his two friends because they're my friends and, and I don't want any other friends. He, he's like Drake, you know, he's full, he's in full no new friends <laughs> mode. So he, so we've been trying and like, you know, a, a sort of background level goal of ours has been get him on some play dates with some other kids, see if you can get him just like, it doesn't have to be a big deal, but like get him familiar with other kids in his class so that he, he isn't just all about these two kids because maybe next year they won't be in the same class and in any case he does things like he, he went to a birthday party last weekend with the whole class he had a lot of fun he played with a lot of people and then at the end of the party he looks at the whole group of people he's about to leave and he says bye to his one friend bye to his other friend and then he turns around and walks out won't say bye to anybody else so we've been trying to set up other play dates and a couple weeks ago he said to me spontaneously he said I want to have a play date with Manish Manish being another kid in his class. And that's great. Okay, great. All right. I'll email Manish's mom or dad and we'll set up a play date and this will be great. And so I email the parents and the mom writes me back and they're happy to set up a play date. And it got delayed because there was spring break and they were going away and we couldn't set it up for a while. And so this week was the the week of the Leo and Manish have a play date. And uh, the night before, I told him, guess what? You're going to have a play date with Manish tomorrow, just like we talked about. And he goes, no, I don't want to play date with Manish. And I was like, no, you explicitly said to me that you wanted to have a play date specifically (laughs) with Manish. And so I arranged that. And and he's like, no, I I, I don't want to play date with Manish because he only has his two friends and he doesn't want to have a play date with anybody else. And then he's like panicking and throwing himself down on the floor and like screaming and crying and Manish can't come over to our house and he won't go over to Manish's house. And the whole thing is just a catastrophe. And so we insisted that there would in fact be this play date, but um, he was um, violently rejecting the entire notion of the play date. Um, and then at school, the day of the play date, um, we came in and, and we were doing the thing we do when I drop him off where we're sitting and reading a book before I go. Um, uh, and in comes Manish with his mom and I can hear Manish tugging on his mom's arm and being like, I don't want to have a play date with Leo. <laughs> and so, me and the mom just sort of look at each other. The mom is looking at me really apologetically. And I was like, yeah, no, we, we had this same thing last night. <laughs> uh, it's unclear whether the play date will, in fact, take place. But um, our attempts to get him to broaden his social circle have, have so far um, been sort of thwarted by, by his uh, social anxiety. Hmm. <sighs> I don't know what to That's do That's interesting. That. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... I would, my instinct is probably to still make the play date happen, but not expect a whole lot from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times kids just find stuff that they didn't think they were going to find. And my instinct would be to still do it, but not necessarily, expect I don't know. Them I mean, I would, I would sort of like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a play date light, you know, <laughs> it's like we're <laughs> hanging out and the kids happen to be in the same room yeah. and that's we'll see the if thing. they magically, you know, the adults they... can make a date and it's like about that. I mean, that, that's what I was yeah. always successful there with. When go. Henry was little, he had a lot of there the same kind of anxiety and the way that I was able to expand his friend group was by expanding my friend group of people that had kids the same age as Henry. And, uh, you know, when it becomes about not about that pressure, which they totally feel that pressure, especially when they're going to school with the kids that you're setting them up with and they have to see them the next day and it's like the whole like, oh, hey, right. we had a play date yesterday. You know, even the concept of a play date where the parents set it up is a little, if you think about it, it's kind of like of this generation. <laughs> it's a little weird. It's not how we met our friends growing up. Uh, but that was how I did it was I just made friends with with 
parents of kids the same age as my kids. And that seemed to work and at least get them used to the idea of talking to other people besides the same two people. Yeah, the trouble is I don't really want any new friends either. <laughs> yeah, so I, I all you've done is all you've done is relocated the problem from him onto me. <laughs> Why are you being see, so judgy then? Because you're dilemma. exactly the same. It no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not judging. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent sympathetic. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question for us, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at momanddadatslate.com. Uh, as a reminder, we have moved our Facebook presence. You should join the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just go on Facebook, search for Slate Parenting, hit that join button. Uh, a lot of really good active discussion going on there, both about the show and about other parenting stuff. Check it out. On Slate Plus today, Julia Turner, editor-in-chief of Slate Magazine and the host of the Culture Gab Fest, will join to share a parenting fail that happened on her recent beach vacation. Two children, one ocean, what could go wrong? Don't worry, it's not that bad. Uh, here's a little teaser. How do you ever get to where you just let your kids swim in the ocean? It's so huge and they're so small. It like felt like this metaphor for everything that parenting is. And I think of myself as someone who wants my children to find independence and then was struck to realize that I was being so cautious. To hear that segment and another every week, join Slate Plus. Just $35 for your first year helps us uh, make the show, gets you extended ad-free editions every episode. Uh, join up at slate.com slash Plus. All right. Um, let's get on to some questions. Uh, we got a question here. Uh, came to us over email. It's being read for us by Browbeat intern Lena Wilson. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I've been dating a truly lovely gentleman for about a year and a half. He and I are both divorced and he has a 17-year-old son from his marriage. I don't have kids and at 36, I'm unlikely to have them. I've never dated anyone with children before and I've done my best to be respectful of his familial situation. I interact regularly with his son, but I can't help but feel extremely awkward around him. He clearly has no interest in getting to know me, despite the fact that the three of us have spent several holidays and birthdays together, and I've attended several of his sporting events with his dad. I occasionally make dinner for all of us, and we always get along fine, but it feels rather strained. My boyfriend's son clearly adores his mother, and I fear that as his dad and I become closer, he'll be less and less willing to accept me into their family. I long to feel included, and my boyfriend is very caring and kind, but I don't know that he wants to push his son to get to know me any more than necessary. I've made a concerted effort to give them as much space as they all need as a family, including staying at my own apartment every other week when his son is with him, which is rather disruptive to my daily routine. I yearn to feel a sense of belonging in a family. I'm not close to my grandparents who raised me, nor my dad. I don't have any siblings, and I know I'll never have my own kids. Should I just be patient and wait until the son is at college in a few months and then I can live with my boyfriend full time? Or should I bring it up to him that I feel awkward and would like to know that I'll have a place in their family in some small way in the future if we continue to be together? Sincerely, Girlfriend in the Way. 
I feel uniquely qualified to answer this question, even though, of course, as always, my answer is my opinion and not necessarily, you know, the global answer to it. But I both am a stepmother and have a stepmother. And uh, my stepmother, who got together with my dad when I was in my 20s, sounds a lot like or she has said things that sound a lot like what you're saying. She never had kids of her own. She really longed to, when she married my dad, become a part of our family. She wanted to have a certain kind of relationship with us that, frankly, we didn't want and we weren't ready for and didn't feel good or right to us. And a big part of the reason for that was because she expressed those things so overtly and those things are kind of impossible to fulfill. So a couple of baseline things, and this is like my step-parent hat now, uh, what I have learned uh, with my own relationship with my stepdaughter, which started out, it sounds a lot like the one you have now with your boyfriend's son, very awkward for a very long time. I felt very much on the outside and sometimes did things that unintentionally uh, kept me on the outside. And one of those things that I would do would be to try and assert some sort of parenting piece of advice or parenting role. And again, just like with me, she didn't ask for it. She doesn't want it. Uh, It is really, really important to remember in this situation that your boyfriend's son did not ask for or design this situation. This is what happened with his parents, and he is having his relationships with both of them. It's obviously been affected by their breakup, Uh, and he isn't looking or shopping for more parents. He has the ones he has, and the relationships that those people develop will be new people in his life, but he's not necessarily interested and may never be interested in having another mom uh, or a, a, even somebody that he thinks of as a stepmom. He, he just may never be interested in it. And um, I am still to this day, you know, 20 years later, not interested in having that kind of relationship with my dad's wife. And in fact, we have almost no relationship. And the rift I have with my dad is it, it's comp- more complicated than this, but this hasn't helped uh, the rift because there's been a lot of resentment about the fact that we didn't just openly embrace this new wife and like make her a part of our family and create events designed to celebrate this new family. And I was just like, why, that's, why is that on me? Like, why is it in any way on me? So the, the advice I would give, I do think it's important to give advice uh, when you say things like this, um, just be this kid's friend. Be something else to him. Don't try to play a familial role. Don't try to play a parenting role. If you want to say something to your boyfriend and and just try to get to know his son better or maybe just feel a little bit more included, that's a relationship issue uh, more than it is a parenting issue. And what I would say is, hey, uh, boyfriend, I would like to spend more time when you're with your son with you. Um, Not because I, you know, think that I want to be his new mommy, but because I just want to get to know him a little bit better. Find out what makes him tick. I, I want to be another adult he can rely on or ask for advice or just kind of have uh, who's had life experience that he might be find valuable someday. And if the issue is that it's your boyfriend who's drawing that line and that's why you're never coming over when his son's there, what you're talking about is a relationship issue. You're talking about you two wanting two different things. You want a different experience in this relationship than the one that he wants. And that is a different conversation. Um, so I'm going to put that one aside and just say when it comes to this kid, 
I would do your hardest to not telegraph this longing to be included, this longing to belong, this longing for family, because it is not this kid's job to fulfill that for you. And it never, ever will be this kid's job. Um, It's also, you know, you could say, is it your boyfriend's job to fulfill that? That's another question, but it's 100 percent definitely not this kid's job. So I think you are putting too much pressure on yourself for what you might get out of this. And you're comparing what you actually have, which may be a perfectly lovely, nice, cordial, civil, friendly relationship with your boyfriend's son. You're comparing it to your longing and you're disappointing yourself. And you're probably telegraphing that and that's making it more tense and in turn making you feel more excluded. So try to really address that. Try not to telegraph it. Try not to put the expectation on him or on the relationship that you'll get this because it's just, I'm sorry, it's not It's not going, it's very unlikely. I don't want to say it's not going to happen. It's very unlikely to fulfill your hopes and dreams. Yeah, I think that's well put. The one thing I would add to that is that this kid is 17 years old and he's going off to college in a few months. And as a 17-year-old boy, uh, as a 17-year-old, his job right now is to break away from his parents. His job is to break away from his family. His job is to become independent and to get to a stage where he can move out and go live on his own and have whatever kind of relationship he's going to have with them. But he, every impulse is pushing him away from being part of a family. Uh, and when you then come in and you're like, oh, great, here's a family. Let's be a family. Let's all cluster in together as a family. I'm excited to be in your family. Um, all you are doing is is thwarting what he's trying to do and what he has to do. What like his all you're doing is getting in the way of him doing what he has to do right now. Yeah, I would agree, and I, I mean, I also think that a year and a half is really not that long in the scope of a situation like this. Because what Rebecca says is exactly right about the way it feels for the seventeen year old. Based on just what I've seen and experienced, um, I, you know, like it definitely you can't come in and expect to be a parent in the traditional sense or maybe even in the sense that you long for. And I think from this letter that the letter writer is carrying some vision of parenting that has to do with her own experience and her own kind of history that is valid and is real, but is not applicable to this 17-year-old and his father. It's just not, it doesn't apply. And what's happening here for the 17-year-old is like Rebecca said, I mean, I was just thinking about this because this also was a, a divorce question came up on the Karen Feeding column this week is that, you know, and I was reflecting on my own kids' experience with divorce and what they've told me and and the thing no one seems to remember well enough is that exactly what Rebecca said, that the kids didn't ask for this and it's like the biggest change in their lives and they had no say in whether or not it happened. And that's incredibly frustrating. And I think that as parents, we consistently underestimate the weight of that for kids. Um, I know Joe and I did that. We were like, well, we made this decision and it's the right thing and we think it's the right thing for you guys and it's the right thing for us and we're still going to be a family and all that stuff is true and we were so wedded to that narrative that I think for a while there we really just spaced out on the fact that from their experience it was like adults had just introduced this whole new life to them 
with no like with no input. That's terrible. That's it would be terrible if someone did that if you were an adult. Much more difficult for a kid. So, um, so I, I think like the advice that I've heard is is right. Like you can't think of yourself as a parent. You don't even really. I don't. You can't expect yourself to even be a friend necessarily. I think you kind of do have to let the kid feel like they can define the terms of this relationship to some extent. And I think it's unwise and unhealthy to push the kid's boundaries around this issue, even if those boundaries are not where you'd like them to be drawn. What I do think happens over time is that, you know, you you talk about in the letter that, that you guys get along cordially, it's fine. It's not like the kid is like slamming the door every time you show up or anything like that. So there's not open hostility. There's just a reluctance. The kid has a certain pace at which they'd like this to go and you have another pace and you'd, you'd like advice on how to get your pace to happen as opposed to his. And my answer is you can't and you shouldn't try. You should let it go at his pace. If you guys have holidays together, which you mentioned in the letter, if you guys have some time together and it's fine, let that be enough. I suspect... That unless the people, unless you're like a real asshole, which doesn't sound like you are from your letter, I suspect that um, that there will be slow progress, that there'll be some level of comfort, and the kid will let, get get used to having you around, and maybe even uh, a conversation will pop up between the two of you that sort of like bonds you a little bit in its own time. But you really got to let it happen in its own time. Um, and, um, cause if you don't do that, then like we mentioned, you know, like it, it, then it becomes a power play between you and him. And he's not just carrying his relationship to you in this decision-making process around how to accept you. He's carrying the weight of this whole experience of having his parents split and what his mother feels and what he thinks she feels and how protective he feels of her and, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in this kid's head that have, has nothing to do with you. Um, and so if you try to sort of take this head on and try and sculpt some way either through, you know, manipulation or coercion or just general, like, I'm just going to be so nice that it's going to be so awesome that the kid have no no choice but to give me the relationship I want. If you do that, that will very likely lead to resentment uh, and just longer term problems. So it sounds like you're you're in a good situation. You're dating someone you like. You like his kid, things are going well. I I think that should I think you should let that be enough for now. Yeah, this is all making me think about my stepfather, who whom I love dearly, who I feel very, very close to. And I'm thinking about how long it took me after he and my mom got married for me to start not feeling weird about him and me being in the same family at all. And and I think mm-hmm. it was less than ten years. But it wasn't yep. much less yeah. than 10 years. Yeah. That's exactly that's about right. right. <laughs> and that's the kind yeah. of time frame that I think you're looking at here is like hang yep. in. And if this relationship lasts, then I bet you in a decade, you and this 27-year-old man are going to be very close and have a nice warm relationship if you don't push it too hard and you don't act too thirsty around him. That's right. I think it was 10 years for me with my stepdad. He got married. Well, maybe a little bit longer. I, we really got close in our when I was in my 20s. And he passed away last year, and it was devastating for me. And my stepdaughter and I, it took five years. And there were five really awkward years of us kissing each other goodnight and going through the motions and, like, looking maybe to people if they were to look through the window like we were fine. 
but it was awful. And it was only when we mutually agreed, let's just let go of like saying I love you to each other. Let's just let go of the kissing goodnight. Let's just let go of that stuff. Like, let's lower the bar and just like be nice and try to find other things that we have in common. It was when we mutually agreed to do that when she was like, I don't know, 11, 12, 13, something like that. Things just completely changed. And now we have things in common that she doesn't have in common with her parents. And our relationship is built not on me trying to be her stepmom, but just on the fact that we have a relationship. We built it from scratch. We started at zero and we got close quickly when we started at zero and we both let go of all of our expectations. And uh, when I let go of my baggage around it and she let go of hers which she wouldn't she wasn't old enough to do when we first met each other I and mean, it wasn't until she was a teenage pre-teenager that she was old enough to even think that way uh that's when the relationship began so this is all that that that's all right that's all right and and give it time for sure all right thanks so much for the email and um get back to us in 10 years and let us know how <laughs> how things have shaped up uh, mom and dad at slate.com Uh, time to take another question. This one uh, came through on our voicemail. If you want to uh, ask us a question, you can give us a call at 424-255-7833. Hey, Mom and Dad are fighting. I have a question about how to address a child's growing uh, knowledge of violence. Um, so I have an almost four-year-old, and he's starting to notice when people are, like, getting beat up on, like, movie previews and stuff. I'm looking at you, Super Bowl commercials. Um, and he's also noticing, like, in kids' movies when, like, pirates are fighting and things like that. Um, I mean, he's been kind of restricted to the Paw Patrol genre where someone's in trouble and needing rescue, and, like, that's the basic storyline. But now he's starting to notice when people are fighting and um, sometimes, like, killing each other and things like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. So he's starting to ask questions about, like, what's happening? Like, Mommy, what's happening in this? Like, why is that guy mad? Why is that guy hitting that guy? Like, why is that guy? Um, and all along these lines. So I was wondering how you guys address this, since you all have older children than I do, how you address their growing, um, like, knowledge and just awareness in general when people are fighting. And I uh, don't really know how to go about doing that um, the right way. So I'd appreciate any advice you guys have. Um, thank you. Bye. Uh, so this is something that I have been concerned about as well. Like I also get uptight when when I see the kids taking in something that seems like frightening and violent, and and it's a it's a thing that has often been pointed out that like we are very our society prevents kids from looking at anything to do with sex at all, but is totally happy for them to see people shooting each other or stabbing each other with swords or punching each other in the face. And once you like become aware of that then the amount of of you know i'm a fan of the superhero comics genre and and my kids have seen some of that and then once you start seeing it as a parent then you're like this whole thing is about people hitting each other. Why is everybody? Why does everybody have to hit each other all the time? And in <laughs> in my real life, I don't see very much hitting. So w w why on in the stories that we see playing out on screens are are people constantly hitting one another? This seems to. It's not like I want to encourage more hitting. I'm against hitting. So like, what is going on here? At the same time as it's possible for me to spin out about that stuff, like my kids have seen a whole bunch of hitting and it doesn't really seem to bother them that much. Like sometimes they ask the same kinds of questions that this caller's kid asked and, and 
the thing I would usually say is, well, they're they're having a fight. But of course, you know, this is just pretend. Like I, I keep going back to like, well, shows on TV are just pretend. They're just playing and, and maybe you like to play with your friends and you like to chase them around and, and do play fighting. But they're not really hurting each other. It's just pretend. And like hopefully that is reassuring to them. And now as they're getting older, Eliza, who is now reading chapter books, is reading chapter books in which all kinds of horrible things happen. And like that seems to be fine. And I guess I think part of the function of stories and and the things that kids read and watch is to let them know that there are all kinds of crazy, terrible things that happen in the world. And yet life goes on and they're probably going to be okay. Um, But yeah, it's weird. I think you got to just try to like tell them matter of factly. It's a show. It's not real, but it's people uh, hurting each other. And that's a thing. Isn't she lucky, though, that her son is asking her? Doesn't that show that he has like a sensitivity to it not being something that he should just start immediately doing? Because I know that a lot of little kids, you know, when they start seeing behavior on TV shows, they start play acting the behavior. And then you have to have the proactive conversation of, hey, just because you saw that happen on I Carly or whatever your sister was watching doesn't mean that you should be smacking each other in the face or whatever. And her son is asking her the question. So he's giving her the opportunity to have that conversation. And I think you nailed it on the head. I mean, it's really simple to explain sometimes that the TV shows we watch, the media that we have, they don't look anything like real life. If they did, they would be really boring and nobody would watch them. And this is a play acting. It's dramatized. Uh, and also, if your son's watching Super Bowl commercials, I might point out he's also watching football, which is also very violent. But that's a, an, an aside. <laughs> uh, but I think it's wonderful that he's asking. And I think he's opening the door for you to have this exact conversation. And um sounds like he's a nice, sensitive kid and you're a nice, sensitive mom. So I think you'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, unless the TV turns him into a psychopath. But uh, <laughs> Ho- hope, hopefully, oh, which, that's, which has a 64% chance of happening. <laughs> right? Hopefully that's not going to happen and we'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot to add here. I think the Gabe's suggestion of what to say and do is correct. I mean, I don't, It's this is where having older kids actually is a disadvantage because I kind of don't even remember how we addressed this. I mean, I'm sure it came up and I don't remember what we said, but I'm sure it was something along the lines of, yeah, they're pretending they're play acting and this is not. Obviously, as you may have noticed, this is not how people are behaving in real life. We're not seeing, you know, like, 70-foot-tall robot monsters fighting with other 70-foot-tall robot monsters. That is the thing about television is that it's play, it's story time, it's make-believe. And so that's the way we talk about it. And so I think a combination of that and also, you know, there's the continued – I mean, there's the continued monitoring of what they see because there there is media that seeks to make violence look and feel as realistic as humanly possible. And it's a little harder to explain, like – Reservoir dogs, as as like <laughs> as like people playing pretend, than it is to like. Why you know, are their names like... all the names of colors? Why do they all wear the same suit? <laughs> Why won't he tip Why the waitress? Man money? But the um, <laughs> is that really what like a virgin is about? <laughs> um, this is we're skewing old with this reference too, but I'm proud of that because I love that. Anyway, the point is that um, so I, I think that I think that you do have to. Now that you your kid has made it clear to you that he is aware and taking in these things and having questions about them, it sort of raises the stakes for you to be um, as you know um, as vigilant as you can about the kind of uh, input that he's having. I think I do think the Super Bowl is very dicey because it's this family event, but the commercials are like ridiculous, and so um, I don't. You know I think 
I think that the kind of commercials that run during the Super Bowl are for like really gritty, violent movies where there's blood splattering all over the place and stuff like that. And that's a little harder to explain away. Um, but even then, should that happen and you're, you know, you get to say, yeah, that's, that's fake blood and they use, you know, ketchup or whatever and it's just play acting. Um, I don't think it's, I mean, I think it's, it is a, it's an emotionally and psychologically difficult thing because what this is really about is the reconciliation of, between our kids' innocence and all the shitty stuff in the world and um, how uncomfortable that makes you as the parent of a small child whom you love and only want good things for. I think that's what's really at the root of this and that, you know, that, that's, a, that's an ongoing thing. But I think in terms of the actual television content, you, d- you do pretty well to explain that it's make-believe and it's, it's story time. This is also just preparation for that day that will come when her son picks up a stick from the yard and turns it into a gun. <laughs> and it's like, you can yeah, shelter your kids right. from all the gun media in the world. You can never buy them a toy gun. You can, and they still will pick up a stick, break it into like a little angle, and turn it into a gun. So this is just prep for that. That seems about right. Now is the time on our show when we recommend things to you that we enjoy as parents or that our kids enjoy as kids. Rebecca, what have you got? Well, I like to find things that are the confluence of those two worlds. And one of the places where I often find those are on social media platforms. And in this case, it's Instagram. I have uh, recently become really devoted to, and so has my son Teddy, to a genre of Instagram account being posted by dog groomers all over the world. And if you just look up the hashtag dog grooming or dog groomers, you will find some wonderful accounts. Uh, One of my favorites is the Happy Hounds account that is uh, Happy Hounds Dog Grooming. It's in Yorkshire in the UK. And basically what this just, you know, professional dog groomer does is put up an Instagram that's like a side by side of like the before and the after of the groomed dog. And it is the most zen, adorable, delightful thing to look at and share. And it's the kind of thing where um, now my son and I are both following like a dozen or whatever of these dog grooming accounts. And I'll just get a text from him randomly when he's at his dad's, which will be like a screenshot of like somebody's before and after dog grooming photo. And it's just another way that dogs uh, make kids' lives better. But also for you, Gabe, doesn't involve any hair or dog poop that you have to take care of. So I really recommend the Instagram (laughs) account, um, just uh, any Instagram account, actually, that follows a dog groomer, but especially the Happy Hounds dog grooming one from Yorkshire. And I actually have a list of some others, which I'll make sure you guys can put on the Facebook page, etc. Sounds good. Carvel, what about you? I'm going to recommend a book that was actually one of my favorites when I was a kid. Uh, So this goes back a ways. This book is called Fortunately by Remy Charlip, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. And I feel like maybe I I don't have this right. I I thought the original publication was 1968, but maybe I'm wrong. In any event, it's a it's a it's a very short children's story that follows the 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 following pattern. you know, uh, fortunately, something happened, but then unfortunately, this other thing happened. But then fortunately, this good thing happened. But then unfortunately, this bad thing happened. And it's about a kid gets invited to a party, but it's a long ways away. So, But fortunately, uh, someone loaned him a plane, but unfortunately, the plane's engine exploded. But fortunately, he had a parachute, but unfortunately, <laughs> he landed in a haystack. And it goes, it goes on in this nature, this fortunately, unfortunately thing. And I just, I think about that book all the time. It had such a huge impact on my own understanding of reality. 
reality, how <laughs> things that seem good can turn bad and things that seem bad can turn good. And so you, there's a certain amount of equanimity that like I remember really that's not the word I had for it at age six. But I remember being really related to that and just really liking that. And uh, we did read this book to our kids and they always thought that just this just like the endless twists and turns between good news and bad news for this kid. They thought that process was hilarious. And I, I just rediscovered this book and I think it's really good. It's called fortunately, unfortunately by Remy Charlotte. Nice. Uh, I'm going to recommend an iPhone game, uh, which is not something that I usually recommend. I feel profoundly ambivalent about, uh, even owning an iPhone around children, let alone like giving it to them and letting them play with it. But, um, there are times when it is helpful to be able to give your phone to your kid and, and let them do something non terrible with it for a little while. Uh, and I went looking for a, a game for kids for that purpose and the one i came up with is called crazy gears uh and it's pretty fun mm. it involves like you drag like gears and levers and pulleys around on the screen and you're trying to make a machine that like hooks onto something and opens the door and once you've done that then you go on to the next level where you have a slightly more complicated array of gears and pulleys so it has a it's rooted in real world physics as opposed to crazy town and it's slow and puzzle solving and not violent and blippy and distracting uh and eliza enjoys playing it and and it uh, seems to basically be a wholesome or at least uh, non-destructive uh, force in our family life. So with that enthusiastic endorsement, um, <laughs> <laughs> the game is called Crazy Gears, and uh, you can download it from the App Store. Gears um, don't start fighting in the middle of the game. Is there's what you're no saying? the gears don't shoot at each other. You're not you're not trying to like use the gears to drown a rabbit or anything like that. Um, it, as in so many other popular rabbit drowning themed games, I don't know where that came from. Uh, I just want to say a lot of people have asked on the uh, Slate Parenting Facebook group, where can I find the recommendations you guys have made on previous shows? You talked about something a while back, and I want to know what it is. Gabe, you recommended a million kids' books, and I profoundly need your list of, of kids' books. Where can I find that? The answer is uh, slate.com slash endorsements. It's the uh, endorsements database. It contains all the recommendations from every episode of this show, the Political Gab Fest, the Culture Gab Fest, the Double X Gab Fest, probably other shows as well. Um, but you got to be a Slate Plus member to get to it. You can find it at slate.com slash endorsements. If you're not a Slate Plus member, just another reason to sign up. And that's our show. If you have a question that you want us to discuss, give us a call, 424-255-7833. Let us know what you thought about this episode at that Facebook group I mentioned, facebook.com slash groups slash Slate Parenting, or just go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.